Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Sutton service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. Um, let's start with the time of prayer, and then we'll get into our message today. <clears throat> Father, I just pray that you be with us today. I pray that you reveal yourself in the most profound and special way this morning. Would you speak to our hearts? Would you speak to our minds? And would you transform and change us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, my name is Catherine. For those of you who don't know me, I lead the 200 kids, that um, mother to many, um, that we have in Christchurch, London. And I've been in Christchurch, London now for about, I think, two and a half years I think yeah so I still feel like a newbie but it's great um so as you know from the start of the year we've been looking and studying the life of Jesus through the gospel of Luke and in Luke we see God as the God of up close and personal encounters he is the God who is up close and personal to us and Luke shows us God not only like in his divinity and in his deity but also in his humanity as man Um, Luke is that kind of book that challenges us and encourages us as followers of Jesus in today's world. And our main focus is really on discipleship. And we really want to consider with our passages um, what it is to live like Jesus, to be loved by him and to learn from him. And so just by way of starter, my background is I'm a secondary school teacher. So we're going to do a starter activity, everybody. Got to love a starter. So if you could look at these images that are about to come up on the uh, screen. For those of you who are too holy, that is Kanye and Kim, you know, Kanye and Kim. Oil and water, Samson and Delilah, and ketchup on Weetabix. So with the person next to you, could you please discuss how do you think these images are linked and um, what do they have in common? Have a little chat and I will come back to you. Don't talk to Andy because he knows the answer. Okay, so lots of chat. Some of you feel like, you know, some of the Bible scholars in the room may have already got the answer. And when the answer appears, please, you know, woo if it was you, if you got what the answer is, but the answer is about to appear. Oh, you can't see really, but it's incompatible. They are incompatible. Okay, Kanye and Kim should have never been together. They're incompatible. So, um, they just don't go very well. They don't mix. And again, if anyone has ever put ketchup on any kind of, any form of cereal, there will be an altar call at the end of the service for deliverance because that is just wrong on every level. There's a crew out there apparently who do this and it's not of Christchurch London. That's not what we believe in. (laughs) So... Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not of God. Um, so in the passage that we're about to read, there is a similar situation where Jesus is being questioned by a number of onlookers. And they are um, asking him some questions. And what Jesus is explaining in the passage that we're about to read is that the freedom of the gospel is incompatible with the orthodox traditions of the then contemporary Judaism. So the text that we're reading from is going to be from Luke chapter 5, for those of you who might want to turn there, Luke chapter 5, verse 33 to 39. And we're going to be looking at three parables, three principles today. Three parables and three principles from Luke 5, 33 to 39. And it reads, They said to him, 
John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch up an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants for the new, for they say the old is better. So the title of my talk today is Fasting, Patches and Wineskins. Fasting, Patches and Wineskins, Three Parables, three principles. And we're going to look at the three parables in this text and three principles. Um, on first reading this text, it can be a little bit confusing because I don't know about you, but I'm not patching up anything. I'm not patching up clothes. I'm not really fasting that often and I'm not really into wine. So it's a little bit confusing and we're not pouring wine into wineskins. But the context of this passage is that Jesus has just called in the previous verses a tax collector called Levi. And Levi is basically a member of HMRC. For anyone who works for HMRC, we love you dearly. But, you know, we're just saying, you're not our favorite people. So he is a citizen of um, Israel, but an employee of Rome. And he's a bit of a hustler and a crook. Not that HMRC, we're not saying you're hustlers or crooks. Again. But tax collectors were considered at the time traitors because they were people who extorted money from their own people and worked for the Romans. And Jesus walks past Levi in his tax collecting booth and says to him, maybe the shortest sermon ever, and he just says, come and follow me. And Levi leaves everything and follows Jesus. And immediately the first thing that Levi does is he throws a party with all his, you know, HMRC friends and all his tax collecting friends. And Jesus stays with them and he's eating and drinking with them. And the religious folk, the Pharisees and the scribes, they're annoyed, they're angry. And they ask Jesus, like, why are you hanging out with all these sinners, these crooks, these hustlers? Why are you hanging out with them? And in verse 32, just before the text that we read, Jesus responds to them and says something that is quite controversial, but incredibly important. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And just as a side note, I really think that's just such a powerful message for us that we are called to those who are on the fringes of society, called to the people who are not churchy and have been churched, but those who are on the outside. And we pick up our text in verse 33, where the Pharisees and scribes continue with their questioning. And they ask Jesus why his disciples are not acting like the other disciples, that of the Pharisees and that of um, John the Baptist. And um, this, happen this happens often in the Gospels where um, Jesus is being questioned because his disciples are not acting like everybody else. While others fast, they feast. While others are serious, they're partying. And the word new comes up in this passage a number of times. And Jesus is trying basically to get the Pharisees and scribes to see that with him, everything is new. Everything is different. 
He's, hi- he's highlighting to them that the quality that God brings to the life of his followers is that of newness. So parable one, the parable of the wedding party. And the first incompatible um, relationship is that feasting does not go with fasting. It is incompatible. Feasting does not go with fasting. And so when Jews were fasting, they would express their personal humility and their repentance. And they would think that they were speeding up the arrival of the Messiah by fasting. But Jesus comes and says to them that actually... Because the Messiah had already arrived, there was no need for his disciples to fast. And even though their fasting was supposed to be in humility, they were doing it for self-righteousness. They wouldn't wash their face. They would wear the shabbiest clothes in order for people to see how righteous and how holy they were. They were doing it as a religious ritual to be seen by others. And Jesus is saying that this should be out of the longing for him, not for the commendation of others. And also the wedding party would actually last um, almost around a week. And each day would be filled with feasting and fun. The wedding attendants would be excused from any religious obligations. And during this week-long wedding feast, it would be understood that joy was the most important than conformity to religious disciplines or um, rituals. The wedding feast was like the vivid picture of joy, and it wasn't like a funeral that was filled with sadness or mourning. Here, the bridegroom is Christ, and the disciples are pictured as the wedding party. And Jesus is saying that you don't need to fast while the bridegroom is there and host the celebration, and neither should his disciples fast because he is there with them. It's a time for celebration, not for a time of mourning. He's come to bring a new kingdom, a new covenant. However, Jesus points out that there will be a time when he goes that his disciples will need to fast. But whilst he is with them, it is unnecessary. The Pharisees and disciples of John who do not follow Jesus were missing out on this joy because they were too focused on this religious ritual to actually see who Jesus was. So that's parable one. Parable two. The parable of the new patch and the old, the old covenant, the old um, garment. So, continuing to respond to the questions of why Jesus's disciples did not fast, like his um, the Pharisees of the disciples, sorry, of um, John the Baptist and the Pharisees, um, he comes up with a second parable to show the incompatibility between the old and new. He gives an example that everyone who fixed garments at the time would have known, which was that no one with a reasonable amount of experience in repairing or mending clothes would waste a new piece of cloth to patch up an old garment. If the new cloth was used to patch up an old garment and you would wash that um, garment and it would become wet, then the old patch wouldn't shrink, but the new patch would, and that would make the tear even worse. I don't know if there's any haberdashery people here that would know this yeah yeah good okay one yeah great so we're telling the truth here um the tear would become worse and similarly the old garment would still be old even if you used a new garment to try and patch it up and actually it would be considered really wasteful to take a new piece of garment and put it onto an old garment as clothing was difficult to obtain at the time And Jesus has shown that his new doctrines do not match the old rites of the Pharisees, which required a lot of fasting. The point was that the kingdom of God was incompatible with the old rituals and works-based religion. And this is the type of Judaism that was practiced by the Pharisees, which is the old cloth. 
Jesus has said that he doesn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He says that there was a need for God and that he was the one that was going to live it out for us. And so we don't need the law, but we need Jesus. In the old covenant, covenant, humanity reached God through the sacrifice of animals. However, in the new covenant, God reaches humanity through the sacrifice of a savior, Jesus. In the old covenant, it is centered on man's faithfulness towards God. But in the new covenant, it's, fa- it's focused on God's faithfulness towards man. In the old covenant, it's a performance-based ritual. It's a religion between man and God. However, in the new covenant, it's a grace-based relationship between God and man. Jesus came to introduce something old, not to pat new. There you go, you awake? Jesus came to introduce something new, not patch up something old. And this is what salvation is all about. We cannot trust in our own works in salvation in Christ or follow the world and God at the same time. His new way must completely replace our old worldly ways in order for us to walk in the newness of the life that he has for us. And this explains why Jesus didn't come just to create a new reform movement in Judaism and follow the rabbinical schools of the time. He says, I haven't come to patch up your old practices I've come with a whole new set of clothes. And this speaks to me personally because I think that this is saying that shopping is biblical. But I just, that's my interpretation. He said a new set of clothes, plural, okay? So Jesus formed a new institution, the church. He brought Jew and Gentile together in completely a new body. That's the parable, second parable, third parable, the parable of new wine and old wine skins. Lastly, Jesus here uses a parable of wine skins to drive home the point of contrasting between old and new. And um, as I said, I think the image of wine skins is a little bit foreign to our culture, but in Israeli culture at this time and place, wine skins um, were used in, in order to. Um, to obviously to house wine. And there were no glasses in the day. The culture at the time, clean water was scarce. So wine would have been in the drink that people drank mostly um, at mealtimes. And so the neck of the um, hide was shaped naturally like a spout. And the wine would be poured into it and sealed up, and the skin sealed up until the time of consumption to make new wine. If we go to the um, next slide. Um, this is what a wineskin would look like. I don't know if any of you have this on at home, but you can buy on eBay if you really feel like you want to be authentic and old school. Um, but this is what a wineskin might look like if you have a look. Um, the next image. And this is how wine would be crushed. As you all know, I went to Israel <laughs> in February and we saw how wine was made and how um, it was crushed under feet and yes this is how wine would have been crushed and also with a wooden plank that was weighted um, with large stones and then it would be left to ferment and actually left out in the sun in order for it to have more sugar content and once it was actually put into the wineskins if you go to the next um, image that's of the vats one in which I visited when I was in Israel in February just saying um, so this is um, where they where it would actually occur and the the point that Jesus is making here is that Because new wine would ferment and emit gas inside its container, it was crucial that it would be stored in new wineskins because they were supple and they were flexible. 
Old wineskins were rigid, they were inflexible, and they were really stiff. And so what Jesus is saying here is that in order for the wine to expand, allow for the fermentation process to progress and for it to expand, it would have to be put in new wineskins. And the idea of putting new wine into old wineskins would have been regarded as foolish because of its inflexible nature. It would simply crack and drain out all the new wine. So his hearers would have understood this and they would have really been able to process this idea. So here we're seeing the same contrast between the parable of the patched um, garment and the wineskins that you cannot join the old to the new unless you will ruin both. And they are all basically pointing out to the same point that to mix the old and the new is is destructive and cannot really be done. Jesus was talking about mixing the gospel with the Jewish culture at the time, the Jewish, um, mostly the kind of Old Testament. If you take the old garment, the culture in that they lived in, and just patch it up with the new, well, it's not going to work. Jesus's ways are wholly different and incompatible. We cannot just um, take our old, sinful, selfish kind of life and mend it. It needs to be completely replaced with a righteous life. Jesus is saying that the new wine of the gospel cannot be poured into old wineskins of our hearts based on the world's views. The gospel is alive. It is brimming with life and energy, and it requires a brand new vessel. It cannot be forced into a different shape. It requires something brand new, ready to be reshaped by it. It's not a simple like add-on to our lives and it's not a patch that we just patch on to a secular life. And so to give an example of this, I'm going to use Coke and some orange juice. So this is like our old life, full fat Coke, no Coke Zero here, full fat sin. Sugary, delicious. I don't know what you guys were doing before, but obviously I was saved from birth. But for those of you who were, you know, out raving it up, uh, I don't know, drinking, smoking, doing all sorts of wondrous, fun things, as they say. But as you know, I was holy. I didn't know this type of life. But this is the sin life. Full fat coke. Tastes delicious. Full fat sin in life. Okay, this is our coke. And then you meet Andy Tilsey on Sutton High Street and he evangelizes to you and tells you the gospel. He's the OJ, only Jesus. OJ, only Jesus juice. Andy talks to you about life in Christ and how your life will be better. And you know, you can have intimacy with this wonderful savior. And you have some OJ. Only Jesus juice. Fellowship, forgiveness of sins, righteousness, church people, good times, Christchurch London, just wonderful time with Jesus. Nice. But often, as Christians, what we would like to do is this. Can everyone see? I can't hold up too many things, but I'm pouring the orange juice into the Coke. Yum. This is what I go for a sermon, yeah. And what we try to do is blend Jesus as a simple add-on into our old ways and our old life. But it's incompatible. It doesn't taste nice. 
Jesus didn't come just to be blended in and added into our old ways and the old way of doing things. He came to create something completely new. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And as disciples of Jesus, we are a completely new creation. We do not blend the new with the old, but we leave the old for the new. This is how God is calling us to live. And this is what the message that he's trying to tell us. The Pharisees and scribes often did what people do, which is to make comparisons. And Jesus is inviting them not to look out, but to look in and to notice their own attitudes, their own beliefs, their own values, their own systems. He does not want them to be a patchwork of mismatched practices and patterns. He invites them to be made anew to let go of anything that is holding them back or impairing their ability to embrace the new life that he has for them. Jesus doesn't desire for us to be like the old wineskins, inflexible, rigid, stiff, unable to adapt and to change. New wine has to be poured into new wineskins, not accommodated to the comfortable things in which our life has, and how we have been living our old lives. It's incompatible. The message for us as disciples today is to be uncompromising about our faith and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this is like mind-blowingly applicable to our culture today because we, the culture that we live in holding incredibly strong values in films and in songs and in advertising in stories and one of the examples that I can see is in the Disney Pixar film, Turning Red, which I watched with Jacob and Eden not too long ago. Has anyone watched Turning Red? Turning Red, yes. Excellent, okay. So the movie is about a young 13-year-old girl called May, May Lin Lee, and her name is M-E-I, May. And she, um, she, the kind of crux of the story is that she is battling an inner demon a red panda that comes out when she experiences really strong emotions. And these red pandas have been haunting her family for generations. And all her maternal ancestors have successfully trapped their red pandas through a spiritual ritual and gone on to live normal lives. And May is terrified at first when the panda shows up. I think there's the next slide. She's terrified at first. This is what the panda looks like and ultimately has mixed feelings about her experiences with this panda. Sometimes it's fun, next slide, sometimes it's cute, and other times it's uncontrollable and really hurts people. And I wanna recap two particular sections of this movie. So May in the story, she's torn as to whether to go through this ceremony where she can get rid of this red panda. And she is torn because while it is dangerous, there are parts that are really fun and enjoyable. And she gets to a climactic moment with her father who sits on her bed with her and says to her, next slide, people have all kinds of sides to them, May, and some sides are messy. The point isn't to push the bad stuff away, it's to make room for it, to live with it. And in a second scene with her mother, um, who are giving, who's given a tour of the temple um, that they, um, in their home, 
to drive the point home even further, the narration quotes, we've all got an inner beast. We've all got messy, loud and weird part of ourselves hidden away. And a lot of us never let it out. But I did. How about you? So the final closing of this movie is a rhetorical question to the viewer, asking if they're willing to embrace their inner demon and let it out. Asking them if they're going to consider their inner beast, inner urges, urges or inner demons suppressed inside them. And this isn't a movie review, but I did want to highlight some elements as this is kind of a major theme that emerges throughout this movie. And the theme is seen everywhere in our culture today. And at the root of it is you are in charge of your life. You are in charge of you and you decide what is right for you. A reviewer on, a plugged in, on the site Plugged In said it brilliantly. And he said, the movie suggests that while family values are well and good, the individual trumps all. It's the ethos of the me generation, just spelled M-E-I. Jesus wants to reach every part of our lives, the dirty parts of us, and actually clean them up. He isn't simply a patch that we sew onto a secular life. We can't build our life on a gospel of doing what is right for us and then pour some Jesus wine expecting the whole thing to work out. Yes, there are dark and messy parts of us, but instead of embracing them, making room for them, Jesus wants to actually clean them up. And that is what redemption is all about. He takes the good and makes it even better. He strips the bad away. And instead of looking inside of us for truth, we look to him and his word for truth. Instead of deciding what is right for us, we look to Jesus and his voice on the matter. We forsake what we might want in the flesh in pursuit of what Jesus wants us to be. And it's really important that we become even more vigilant of the values and ideas that are incompatible with us being disciples of Jesus. And so in, um, just want to close with the three principles that I wanted to say that were kind of important as I just shuffle my pages and get to where I need to be. Okay. So the three principles, if we could just put them up. God wants us to have relationship with him. He wants us to look forward and not backwards. And he wants us and he wants to create a new way for us. I really don't know why I put numbers on pages if I can't even find the numbers. Okay. So he wants us to have the joy of relationship with him. In Christ, it's actually fun. It's actually better than full fat Coke. It's only Jesus juice. It's good. He wants us to have the joy of relationship with him. God wants us to look forward and not backward. There are some things that God won't allow to happen unless we let go of what has gone on in the past. And he has a new way for us. In verse 39, the scripture says, and no one after drinking old wine wants for the new, for they say the old is better. And that's often the issue of our hearts. We're comfortable with the old way and the old patterns and the old ways of life. It's familiar, it's safe. 
But just as Levi, the tax collector, got up and left everything, Jesus is calling us to do the same. We have to be willing to let go of the old and embrace God's new. So in closing, the London businessman, Lindsay Clegg, told the story of a warehouse property he was selling. The building had been empty for months and needed repairs. Vandals had damaged the doors, smashed the windows and, and strewn trash around the interior. And as he showed a prospective buyer the property, Clegg took pains to say that he would replace the broken windows. He would bring in a crew to correct structural damage and clean out the garbage. Forget the repairs, the buyer said. When I buy this place, I'm going to build something completely different. I don't want the building, I want the site. And I really believe this is what God is saying to us today. That he has come to demolish our old life and he's asking for planning permission. He's asking, can he come and build something completely new? He wants our hearts, he wants our mind, he wants our soul, he wants all of us. And compared to any renovation that we have in mind, our efforts to improve our own lives or our trivial sweeping of a warehouse slated for a wrecking ball, when we become God's life, our old life is over. He makes things new and he wants the sight, the sight of our hearts, of our lives, of our minds, of our soul, and he wants permission to build. Will you allow him to build? Will you give him the entire site? And I'm just going to ask the band to come up. And if you could just stand to your feet. So I would just invite you today just to close your eyes. And just to connect with our Heavenly Father. Just ask him to begin to search the areas of our hearts that have become rigid and inflexible. The areas of our heart that have not allowed him to pour out his new wine into. The things that we haven't been willing to let go of. The battles and struggles that we have with the old. He isn't a patch that has come just to patch on and add on to an old life, but he wants to make you new. He wants the whole sight. So Lord, I ask that you come today, that you take full control and that you just create a supple and a tender heart for you. We ask for your new wine to be poured afresh in us today. We ask that you fill us up with all of you, Lord. We give you our, the, the whole sight of us. Would you take control, Lord? Have your way. Have your way. 
And as the band plays, I just pray that you continue in this posture towards him. That he begins to pour into you all that he has for you. And that he makes new. In Jesus' name, amen.